There's a Mishnah in the fourth chapter of Pirkei Avais. Ben Zoyma Oimer. Ben Zoyma was a person whose name was really Shimon Ben Zoyma. Um, so, Benzema Oimer. Benzema Oimer. Ezehu Chochem. Who is wise? Haloimer Mikoladam, the one that learns from every man. Shinemar Mikomalamdai, he's guilty from all those that I've taught, I've become wise. Ezehu Gibor. Who is mighty, who is strong, the one that conquers his yetzer, his evil inclination. Greater is the one who is patient than a hero, than a strong man. And the person that rules over his spirit is stronger than the conqueror of a city. Who is rich, the one that he's happy with his lot. The fruit of the effort of my hands I will eat. I am happy and is good for me. Ashrecha refers to this world. And Tevlach refers to the world to come. Who is honored. The one that honors he, the creations. Shinema ki those that honor me, I will honor. Uvoizai, and those that disdain me, yekalu, they will be disdained. That's the Mishnah. The Mishnah describes four different aspects, four different aspirations that people have. The Tiferes Yisrael, one of the commentators on the Mishnah, goes on to explain that these four aspirations are the primary aspirations of most of humanity. That when people are striving, what they strive for is they strive for wisdom, for education, for intellect, for the development of their intellectual faculties. People want to become wiser. Education is a major, major, major thrust. We want to know wisdom. We want to have knowledge. Knowledge is one of the greatest gifts. So a person seeks knowledge. Ezul chochem. person wants to chochma. Chochma is a knowledge. It's something that we seek. It's one of the major driving points in life. That's why people are so concerned about university degrees, about getting proper education. Education is a major, major priority. It enables a person to be able to achieve, to be able to see, to be able to perceive. It's probably one of the most valuable things and it's certainly one of the greatest thrusts that a person has in his life. The next thing is Gvura, power. A person wants power. Power is a major drive. A person doesn't only want to be physically in control of another through the expert knowledge of either basic stupid martial arts like karate judo or advanced effective martial arts like Tai Chi. But a person wants to be able to be a fighter. In other words, the advantage of being a fighter of a gibor is you can control. You can be in charge. If someone tries to fight against you, you can demonstrate that they can't get me. I'm in charge. A gibor is a person that has the capacity to control others in the physical or in the larger sense. So what we want is we want education. We want wisdom. We want power. We want power. We want, we want to be able to be in control. It's a deep, deep, deep thrust with inside a person. The next thing we want is we want to make it big. We want to be rich. And we want to be rich quick. And we want to be very, very, very rich. Just looking at 
Yanko, Yanko, I can see how rich you want to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I say Yanko. That's news to me. Yeah, no, no, it's not, not really you. I just, I use an example because it's, it's, it's not true of you, it's true of Berkowitz. I just don't mention him by name. Oops. Um, so we want, we want wealth. Wealth is a major drive. Wealth is something that people are striving for. Wealth is something that, in the modern context, it's become somewhat of an obsession. But it's definitely something that there's wealth. There's, these are the things we want. And finally, COVID. We want status. We want people to think we're great. We want to wear shirts, shirts which declare our status, and therefore they have little horsemen galloping all the way along the left. Because if I have a horseman galloping on my left breast, that means I'm definitely someone that's sophisticated. If I have, if I have, if I have a watch which is which if it's this big. the bigger the hotman the better if I have a, a watch a pair of shoes a all these status symbols that I have it's because I want people to whoa look at him he can go into a store and buy stuff wow whoa amazing imagine how hard it must be to put on that shirt whoa right hand left and burn it up yeah. so, <laughs> But that's what people gravitate towards. We want to be able to drive a car which has got some type of insignia in it and dependent on the insignia and the size of the engine that somehow is telling of who I am. If, for example, I get into a new convertible Jag, which I lustily looked after once uh, I saw uh, close relative driving, and I thought, yeah, that's a car that's befitting of me. <laughs> Mamish, copy that tire. Because the status is a very appealing. You want to live in a particular neighborhood. You want you want covered. You want people to look up. Or if they're not from, so they'll probably make other types of sounds. Maybe look at him. Um, but you want it. We want covered. So those are the four things that perhaps the Ferris Israel says. Those are the four primary things we search for. We want education, we want, we want power, we want wealth, and we want status. Ironically, in the pursuit of these four things, we actually lose them. Ironically, by pursuing wisdom, we will lose wisdom. By pursuing power, we will lose power. By pursuing wealth, we will lose wealth, and by pursuing honor, we will lose it. And he goes one by one and describes in detail why the obsession with the search of wisdom can cause its loss. Why pursuing power may lead to its loss. Why the desperately seeking wealth will cause you to remain poor and why seeking honor, status will in fact devalue you and make you lowly. And he starts off with Chochmah and he says a person that seeks wisdom, the natural inclination is that when you value wisdom you try to accrue as much of it as possible. And then once you have it, once you have the degree, once you have the knowledge behind you you become extremely dogmatic and you almost internally categorize yourself as one that knows. Oh, I'm glad you asked me about that, Gamora. Yes, <laughs> couldn't have picked a better person. <sighs> and the minute you define yourself as being wise, you cut off the potential to learn more.
because he's like, who is he to teach me? Someone comes and he hasn't, in the context of a yeshiva, someone comes, he's never learned in life before. But Rabbi, why don't you? And you say, oh gosh, another stupid question. <laughs> Let me show my great midas and suffer it. Go on, ask. And in turn you're thinking, I'm going to be so great. I'm going to listen to his questions if it has value. <laughs> and then you hear nothing new. And uh, he brings a source in the Gomorrah, I've forgotten where, in the Gomorrah Tainus, in Daf Zayin, that it says Torah is compared to a fire. And just like a fire, a tiny spark can cause a huge inferno, so to a person that knows nothing but a spark can cause a blazing of knowledge from within. Because you have no idea what the person, what kernel of truth con is containing the question. And the minute you categorize yourself as being wise and you close your mind to accepting knowledge from others, you lose the potential for growth in wisdom. This is true of Torah and this is true of every aspect of wisdom. The minute you're close-minded and you've assumed the state of I have the knowledge, that's when you lose it. Because you cut out potential for expansion. You're not willing to learn from other people because you feel you have it. So ironically, the gaining of wisdom becomes its own destruction. Ironically, by categorizing yourself as the wise, you'll lose wisdom. So therefore the Tanya says, Eizehu Chochem, who is wise? No, not someone who has knowledge. He may become foolish. He may become closed-minded. He may become locked in his own little safe paradigm, trapped in his conceptual cage, and never be able to see beyond the dark cellar that he inhabits. And therefore, Ezehu Chochem, a person that has the capacity to always have the key to that cage, and Loi made me call Adam. Someone comes to you that has no expertise whatsoever in the area that you have just got your 9,000th PhD. <laughs> You've got so many letters after your name that if you wrote a book, half of the book would just be the letters after your name. <laughs> and someone comes to you and they say to you, but Professor, Doctor, Master, Sire, Your Highness, don't you think, and you think, oh my gosh, yet another ignoramus. And he says something that could completely transform your perception of everything, deepen your knowledge, and captivate you in ways never, but you won't listen. And therefore, if you want to be a Chochem, you actually have to reverse the process that you actually try to achieve wisdom and you open yourself up and you assume that everything anyone says has value. And then Chochmah opens up to you. So ironically, the effort that you put in and the momentum you try to achieve will deprive you of the thing that you're trying to get. Yes, Kalman. I don't understand exactly. Good, so then we'll carry on. <laughs> Says... <laughs> wait, okay, we, can, you, can you contain yourself? Maybe refer to the next part in the mission about a person who can control himself. We'll deal with that now. Maybe, maybe we'll deal with that now. So, the pursuit of Chochmah and higher education can, in a way, undermine its achievement. Then we go on to the case of Gvura, a person that seeks power, inevitably, whether it be in the very mundane, primitive way of he gets into a series of fights, physical fist fights with people, 
and he gets engaged in gang warfare, the very pursuit of power will catch up with him. Because just like he managed to hit his opponent down, so the opponent has backstop, and the backstop comes and gets him, and then he tries to get his backstop to get the backstop. And ultimately, the search for power is what creates the, the, the loss of power. Power struggles, people that struggle for power are always under the threat of losing that power. And even the power that they manage to gain is often short-lived. Because the nature of power dynamics is there's always two people. And who says, because you're on top tomorrow, you'll be on top the next day. So therefore, any person who engages on the struggle for power on any level, whether it be simply in just a physical heavyweight boxing match, or else on a more sophisticated level within a relationship dynamic or else within a political wherever power is something which is very very transient and you have it today it's gone tomorrow so a person that seeks to get power the search of power his obsession with it can in fact be his undoing and therefore the Mishnah gives us a different option and says if you want true power this is how you get it true power that will remain yours forever and ever and ever that no one can ever deprive you of is the power of self self-mastery the capacity to control the different things within that pull you in directions which go against what your value system is that power is something you can actually hang on to finally when I say finally I don't mean that at all I mean penultimately the next thing is the search for wealth Ezio Ashir so now the search for, for wealth is a person seeks wealth because the wealth affords a person luxuries in life and the ultimate luxury being or the ultimate expression of wealth is the capacity to do what I want. Wealth opens up things. You have no limitations. You can go where you want to go. You can meet with whom you want to meet. You can do things. It creates opportunities. You can have the size of house that you want. It opens up a whole play field of pleasure to you. It's amazing what wealth can do. But in the pursuit of wealth, you have no realize, you have no idea how the story is told. It's a very famous story. It's a very boring story and there's no reason why you have to suffer through it other than the fact that I have a I have issues one of my issues is the desire to bore, bore people and you Harry are the victims of that or will shortly be obviously, yeah, obviously. stories told of again I would like to put in the king in the castle I mean what type of castle do you think the king would be in? we'll leave it aside for the moment and go straight onto the ship at the ship why even why even a ship there's a lonely fisherman sitting at the end of a pier taking his rod and on a tranquil day he casts and waits patiently for the fish to bite and a man comes up to him and he says you know I don't understand you you've been fishing out for the last few years and all you ever do is you catch a fish two three fish a day and it's enough to live on but you know if you bought a little boat and you went out to sea the amount of fish you could catch would be enormously greater why don't you buy a net, a small boat? In fact, he said, I'll invest in it. Because I'm so sure you'll make a profit that I'll actually, I'll, I'll pay for the boat and the net and then you'll pay me back when you have the money. And the fisherman says, listen, sounds like a great idea. And he buys a small little boat with an outboard motor and he buys a net and he goes into the slightly deeper seas and he casts his net and instead of catching one fish in a day, he catches 20 fish and he's able to sell 18 of them and make a profit. And this goes on, he pays back the boat and he pays back the net and then the investor says, you know, the truth is, why settle for a crop of 20 fish a day? The truth is, if you've got a trawler, you could get bigger nets, you could hire a few men, and you could be catching hundreds of fish a day, and you see 100% right. And then, and then he says, 
he goes ahead and does this and he again he has to wake up slightly earlier the responsibilities have increased and he goes and he buys a trawler and then the truth is his business just grows and he starts to have a fleet of ships and eventually he's he's become this this, this fish magnet he's, he's this huge he's, 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 a, he's a worldwide and he meets the man that originally made the investment and the man said no when you look at your empire do you, do you appreciate what I've done for you? And he says, realizing the irony as he verbalizes it, he says, yes, because he says, now I can afford to spend a day fishing. <laughs> so often the irony of wealth is that it starts off as being a mechanism whereby a person will become free and have the capacity to enjoy and engage in the pleasures of life, but in fact it becomes a trap where he's never given the peace of mind, especially with today's incredible technology, where even as he goes on his yacht through the icy waters of the South Caribbean, not quite sure about the temperature, um, his Blackberry tinkles and <laughs> he has to check up on his latest investment and his peace of mind is never there. So he never actually enjoys anything, but it's all there for that, so it completely undermines it. Whereas if a person would step back and say, everything I have is enough for me, and enjoy the moment, and not seek mm -hmm. to have beyond what he has, so then all of a sudden, he's rich. He never realized the joy and the beauty of what that is. To, to maybe explore this a little bit further, let me try to explain it. The notion of wealth is the capacity to be free to do what you want to do. Over here, the words of the tunnel, who is the rich man? It doesn't say what is richness, what is wealth. Who is truly rich? It's a description of the internal structure of a man. Who can be described not as one having wealth, but he is rich inside. That he's taken the notion of wealth and translated it into behavior. The notion of wealth is that I have everything that I need. Who is a person that regardless of his financial statement in his bank balance, who is a person that can say that statement? That I have everything I need. It's a person that everything he has is exactly what he needs. It's a person that's translated the idea of wealth into a middah. Give an example, illustrate it. Two people can be living in a two-bedroom house and have four kids. One's called Ruve and one's called Shimon. Of course. On Friday night, both Reuven and Shimon are approached by a long-lost friend he says, hi, I've just come into town. Reuven says, Shimkala, it's amazing to see you again. And then he thinks, I've got a two-bedroom house, I've got four kids, it's such a pity that I can't have him over for supper. There's no way for him to sleep, I can't host him. And his smile changes into a grimace and he says, I'll see you again, bye. Shimon sees his friend, Rufkala. Yeah, Rufkala, it's amazing to see you. Why don't you come over to my house? We've got so much space. My kids, they can sleep in the lounge. And my wife, you know, so we'll share out the potatoes. It's not a big deal. Come. We have everything you need. The 
question is how you perceive what you have, not what you have. Shimon feels like a rich man. He can have other guests, he can entertain, he can do because he sees the potential in what he has. He's able to expand what he has to incorporate everything he needs. Ruvain sees everything he has as a restriction and a limitation. He's truly poor. Shimon is truly rich. A person realizes, a person who can realize, that we, all, we always have everything we need. And if we think we don't, if we think we don't have what we need, it's because we don't need it. The Abishta gives every person exactly, exactly what he needs. The test is to be able to realize that. More often than not, and this is one of the deepest sources of so many rotten midas, of taiva, of chemda, of kinna, of sinna, is we, not accept, we don't accept the fact that we have what we need. We say, no, no, I don't have what I need. I've got 50% of what I need. He's got the other 50%. <laughs> the guy in the jack. That's what I need. I need a jack. I mean, look what I'm carrying around with me. I mean, when I reach into my pockets, it's not even car keys I produce. What I have? I have an egget. Cartesia regula. Not even a chofshi chochi. <laughs> so there's one way of looking at it. Look, I've got nothing. I don't have a car. I've got a miserable bus ticket. The other way of looking at it is, it's amazing. Some people only have one car. I've got a fleet of cars. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have to drive themselves. I have drivers. Some people have to worry about the maintenance of their cars. Mine are taking care for me. Some people have to worry about the hassles of insurance and, and accidents. I'm a free man. I'm rich! <laughs> some people are rich and some people are poor. Just depends. Some people look at this and say, Nidach, I don't have a car, I don't have a jag, I don't have a door, I don't have a need. I have nothing! <laughs> Same Cartesia. To one person, it's billionaireism. To another, it's poverty. <laughs> so therefore, ironically, pursuing riches can deprive you of them. Acknowledging where richness lies <coughs> can give it to you. And finally, covet, honest status. A person that chases honest, the way it's said in the words of the Bale Musa, is that a person that chases after honor, that looks for social approval, it's taka pathetic. Pathetic. If you see people like trying to ingratiate, uh, ingratiate themselves to others, it's just it's, it's a lowly thing. The one that searches for honor, he's posh, he's, he's, he's a nebach. He's a nebach, he needs it. Ah, it's so pathetic. And those who give him the honor, and they realize they're only giving it to him because he demands it, they also think he's pathetic. Oh, where would you like your name? How big? What a, what a pathetic. If he puts his name there, then he's going to be bigger. Why? And please, if it could be in gold. <laughs> Mm, I think there's a better, I think more people see it from this angle. It's pathetic. A person who is truly honorable, and you'll find this, who do you give the most credit to? Someone that you walk into their presence and you feel that, I can't believe it, like, he's, I felt like there was no limit to his time. I felt so important in his presence. What an amazing man. Why? If you felt so important in his presence, you thought, I'm so amazing. <laughs> Instead, when we walk into the presence of someone who gives us honor, we feel they're really special. <coughs> Ironically, the pursuit of honor is its defeat. 
the pursuit of wealth is the, the pursuit of wisdom is the pursuit the, all the things that we strive to get we ruin them in the process comes along Benzoma and you completely completely changes our perspective shifts our paradigm and says if you want Chochmah don't think about education think about approach if you want to be wise don't think about the wisdom you have think about how every moment is a potential for gaining wisdom if you want power don't think about who you control think how you can control yourself if you want riches don't think about how much you can make think about how much you have if you want honor don't think about how great you are think how great are others and then you become truly great so ironically in all the aspects where we would seek excellence those powerful drives ironically we substitute the desire for a counterfeit product we want it and we taka should want it because chokhmah is valuable and gvur is valuable and osher is valuable and covet is valuable but we go about it in the wrong way we strive for things which we want the thing and instead of getting what we want we end up getting nothing because the way to get it is very counterintuitive and now that being said I think it's only fair that we call on the impatient Kelman um, I see what you're saying with all of them except for, well, uh, for, um, for wisdom. knowledge wisdom because you're pursuing it how is that a sample you keep pursuing wisdom and then you just keep pursuing it and keep pursuing it from everyone and just keep pursuing it how is that going to bring us down for I'm going to pursue it from every single person no matter how generally generally yes generally again if a person's pursuing wisdom you're right it depends what you're pursuing what we're saying is that there's two ways these medias can manifest themselves they can manifest themselves in a superficial way and they can manifest themselves in a deeper way that's really that the, the, the theme the, the subtext, the theme underneath the Mishnah. You can have a person that wants to become a Chochem, he wants to be called a Chochem. So if, if I am concerned about my status as being wise, so that status means I can't learn from you because that's, that's undermining me. If I'm so wise, if I'm so wise, so how can you teach me something? I'm not saying it's real. It's the pursuit of the shell of wisdom the outer covering of wisdom meaning to be wise to be called a wise person yeah. but it's not the we were talking the, the, none of the again the mission the mission is saying there's the essence and there's a shell and it's discussing that people search for the shell and they lose the essence in the process the essence of wealth is a capacity to feel that you have everything in life the essence of covered is to be honorable the essence of of wisdom is to learn the essence of strength is self-control the way they manifest in the non-essential way the the abuse of the misuse of is wisdom as the power to know i'm an intellect wealth to be i'm so rich honor to be i'm so hoshev um and power to be i'm so powerful that the the outer appearance and the inner essence are absolutely contrary that in the pursuit of the outer appearance you lose the inner essence that's the point there's the external representation and there's internal and by ex by by putting your energy into the in external you actually lose the internal that's a chiddush you have no connection to the internal and by pursuing the internal you get both
you get the essence, you get it really. It's an amazing thing, it's very liberating. Because it means that everything that we can strive for is within our thing, at our fingertips. We don't have to have a fancy college degree to have wisdom. We don't have to have a massive bank account to have wealth. We don't need to have a new Ferrari to have status. And we don't have to know Tai Chi to be a giver. We have to know Tai Chi for other reasons, but not to be a giver. Do you understand? I think it's, 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 a major, it's a major move forward for me. I hope I have to apply it. But in terms of the, just the, the, the paradigm shift, I think it's quite powerful. Uh, we have to th- think how they c- this can change us because there's a long pathway from the knowledge to the integration. But at least to have the knowledge is a starting point. Are you all following me? So that's the Chiddush from the Tiferes Israel. I'd like to now perhaps delve deeper into one of the Chochmah. <coughs> what does it mean, Halayman Bikol Adam? Over here, the Tiferes Israel goes actually into a practical application of this. And this is something which we've been working on in the last few days in uh, some of our Vadim. And what's happened is I've experienced a very different perception of life. The Tiferes Israel says as follows, How can you learn from every man? How can you learn from every man? Is something to learn from everyone? So, someone, you've, Chenkin, you've got something to teach me? <laughs> now, says the Tiferes Israel, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that if you go to a person, you say, teach me a new lesson. He says, uh, well, what's your field of expertise? I say, ancient Grecian shipbuilding. You say, well, let me teach you something about the Phoenician theory of economics. Oh, I never knew that. Thank you. Tell me. It doesn't mean that. It means, it means that as well, but it also means that from, this is what Tiferes Israel says, whenever you engage with someone, there's something to be learned. And he says, for example, you have a connection to your friend and your friend you walk into the house and you say hi bro hey bro um would you like a cup of water he says you know you're just such a kind person you're so chesedek so you can learn from him about yourself but then the first israel says but the person that you want to listen to the most is definitely your enemy someone that's furious with you and he's cursing you out he says he's going to tell you some interesting things about who you are your friend, your friend, because he loves you, so you'll kind of overlook your faults and you'll exaggerate your mileage. He says, if you want to know the truth, if you really want to know who you are and you want to move forward, wait until you bump into someone that hates you. And then he'll tell you, he'll say, you miserable, selfish, egotistical lout. Do you know that you don't see beyond your nose? You think you're the only person that exists in this world. So at this point in time, what you have to do is you have to say, hmm, this is important for me to know. <laughs> he says, don't get, he says, don't get ex- upset with him and lose the clarity of perception to the prophecy that he's giving you. It's like a prophet. He's telling you the secrets of yourself. So you go to your enemy. I mean, I don't know if you should prompt him. And he says, you know, I'm just amazed that you actually have any friends at all. It's pointing out the lack in my capacity to hold relationships. That's fascinating. Because you actually are so self-centered that whenever you do something, you always think about yourself. So you think to yourself, well, who else should I be thinking about? The other people in the world? Aren't those just like things which flutter about to create some type of environment for me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like vaguely aware that there are people out there, but I'm saying, surely they're just there to supply my needs. I mean, it's not really... uh, Hmm he has a point and then he goes on and he says you know 
you're just completely driven for your desire for wealth. You don't even see that there's you have a wife and children. You think to yourself, hmm, that's, that's fascinating. My wife always says that to me. <laughs> she always says to me, like, why didn't you phone me? Mm, I never really thought about that before. Etc. 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 So he said that that your learning experience is not limited to your loved ones, but actually it expands to your your enemies. And the ultimate goes further and he says, our natural inclination is we only learn things that we already know. We only find information in the area of our interest. So say for example, I am a rabbi. <laughs> Again, it's a, it's, it's a far shot. It's a very big stretch. But this is my So when I see you, I look around the room. So all I see is, hmm, amazing. Why isn't, why isn't, uh, why isn't fiction a person? Why isn't Gary wearing tits? Why isn't Gary wearing tits? Why is, why is, why is, why is he? Why is he slouching on his book? Why is he... The lessons that I get, the questions that I ask, and the answers that, I, that I'm given are all related to my field of interest. If I'm a shoemaker, I say, gosh, why is Siegel wearing such ugly shoes? If I'm a, if I'm a fashion designer, I'll say, why is it that... I've shown him he's wearing braces which went out of fashion 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, I love it. Um, how is it possible that a person can have any type of um, fashion, fashion awareness when given the options of black or white? Or black or white. And <laughs> I g- if, I'm, if, I'm a, if I'm a hairdresser, so I'll have a lot to say about the present company. But, but everything, that I'm, everything that's reflected back to me is my area of interest. And if I can't be lame, we call Adam. Because some people have nothing to tell me. Says out of Kelm, a person has to be broad enough that every inter- interaction teaches you something because your interests have to be almost all encompassing. So, from one person, I'll learn sensitivity. From another one, I will learn the capacity of compassion. From someone else, I will learn industriousness. From someone else, I'll learn bad things. I'll learn not to down the people down my nose. From some other person, I'll learn to be engaging. From someone else, I'll learn how to communicate. From someone else, I'll learn how to keep quiet. From someone else, every person will, I walk away from interactions and say, wow, oh, I learned so much. I learned so much. So that's a completely different way of li- living life. It's completely different. Um, what you find is, and this is something which I'm going to call on you to experiment with. I'm going to give you a task. I want you at the end of the day to write down three things you've learned from three different people in the course of your day. Three things you've learned from three different people in the course of your day. And you'll see that this will transform the way you think. It will transform the way you think. Because when you enter into engagement thinking to yourself, what can I learn from him? You automatically become humble. You'll be amazed. And then you'll see, you'll start to, with a, with a, with a new ear, hear things that you never heard before. And all of a sudden your narrow world will open up. And all these people that you just wrote off because you didn't need them, suddenly become people with things to teach you. I learned something from my four-year-old son. It's quite amazing. He's got this Canaan horror predisposition towards... I was trying to work it out. He's got this beautiful, pure emona. Things are just... He's just happy. Nothing disturbs him in life. 
Like he just goes about life and he literally he, he hums to himself and he walks from place. He doesn't have a worry in the world. He's got this absolute trust in him and that things are great. Why have I lost that? Such an incredible way of living. I look at him, Cain and horror. It's amazing. At four years old, you can learn something from him. You can learn from it. I learned from my two-year-old son. The lessons don't stop. He's got this inventive spirit that last night I found him on the on <laughs> on the floor creating a interesting mixture. He'd taken the remainders of the Abdullah wine and combined it with a little bit of floor cleaning liquid that you find in Negovasa and he was arranging like an interesting shape on the floor. And he was like trying to work out the different patterns and colours. It was so inventive. Well, and that was beautiful. And then like he saw me coming and then he kind of like made this desperate attempt to uh, kind of oh, hi, hi dad you know he can't speak hi dad <laughs> put this negovasa back in the sink it's fine like, the kind of, just so so fresh to see that now if I can connect to that I can change from the process or else I can just walk in oh my gosh what have you done what a, what a, what a, what a tragedy what a tragedy so when you focus on this you, you, you suddenly become open to wisdom your life expands it's astonishing you become, you become engaged in every situation. Every conversation is, is potentially a life-changing experience. And then you actually start to hear what people say. As opposed to thinking, okay, when's the snow going to stop? <laughs> mm, his, moves stop m- his lips have stopped moving. So it's, yeah, it's going to stop soon. Ah, there you go, it stopped. Now I can say my piece. Oh, Baruch Hashem, I get to speak. <laughs> okay, everybody. So, so I think these are lessons which, which, which uh, if we could internalize them, we could move, we could project ourselves. We're not discussing it the practical avoid but for Chochmah we could think about Oisher and Gvura and Kovid as well. Many opportunities for growth.